ask you a question, and this has nothing to do with our sermon today. How much prayer on a Sunday morning is too much prayer? None, right? You can't get there. Um, you may notice uh, we are actually building more and more prayer into our service. We're building more and more time that we just spend talking with and listening to, I pray, um, from the Lord. On that, and we're just going to keep reminding you and keep saying it. Every single Sunday morning at 8 o'clock, there's a group of us that meets in this sanctuary to pray, to pray for what's going to happen this morning, to pray for our people, to pray for the community, to pray that the Lord would work in power and might. And we just want to invite you to that. 8 o'clock in the morning is not too early for you to get here. You may think it is. Um, those of you with small kids may have that much more difficulty, but you can do it. I believe in you. Church, let me ask you a question that does have to do with our sermon. How well do you think it would go if someone who was learning to drive followed the speed limit but failed to drive on the right side of the road? Or how well do you think it would go if someone, a pilot perhaps, flying an airplane followed half of the pre-flight checklist and just ignored the steps they didn't really like? How well do you think it would go if a heart surgeon sanitized their equipment but did not bother to wash their hands or wear gloves as they performed open-heart surgery? Friends, we know that it would not go well for them, and it would not go well for anyone else around them. Amen? Amen? To take only half measures when the full measure is required is foolish and stupid. Right? Yes, the pastor said something was stupid from the pulpit. When we do such things that we, we may get hurt, or worse off, those around us might get hurt, our spouse, our kids, our friends, our church, and those in our community that are in need of salvation and have not yet found it. When we take half measures in faith, we will be hurt and so will others. Amen? If we know that, then why would we think it would be different when it comes to the commands of God? Most of us, most of us do not take the Lord's name in vain. Most of us, when we discover an idol in our lives, tear it down and put it to death. If you don't, you should. Most of us will not, do not cheat on our spouse if we have one. Most of us will not steal anything. Most of us seek to tell the truth. We will not bear false witness. But let me say this. Now, none of us have at all times and in all ways followed these commands. Amen? I mean, none of us have perfectly, but most of us, I hope, seek to live them as much as we can to the best of our ability by the Lord's help, the Holy Spirit in our lives, driving us towards holiness. 
But let me tell you, there is one command that I believe every single one of us in this room fails at miserably and doesn't even try. Every single one of us. Some of you are now trying to figure out which command did he not say yet. Anybody figured it out? The fourth command. Does anybody know the fourth command? What is the fourth command? Thou shalt keep the Sabbath holy. Friends, I really do believe that none of us do this well. And that most of us don't even bother trying. Let's go to Exodus chapter 20. You know when a sermon starts off with the pastor saying that none of us do this, and that most of us, if not all of us, don't even try at this, it's going to be an interesting morning. Amen? All right, Exodus chapter 20. Just so you know, Exodus chapter 20 is one of the places you get the Ten Commands. Commandments. We're going to verse 8. We're going to verse 8. Here's what it says. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter, your male servant or your female servant or your livestock or the sojourner who is within your gates. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them, and rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. Now let me point something out to you from this. Something that we too easily miss. If you check any printed list of the Ten Commandments, any poster in a Sunday school room, any Googled search of what they are, any single list that leaves out the entire text of Scripture, they say the same thing in one of two ways. They either say, keep the Sabbath holy, or they say, remember the Sabbath, depending on, on what they're rolling with. This is true, right? I mean, you should be tracking with me here. But did you know that we ignore half of this command every time we look at it? If I asked you in Sunday school this morning, or on your way into the building, hey, what is the fourth command? If you knew which command that was, you would say, honor the Sabbath, or keep the Sabbath, or you should set the Sabbath aside as holy. But you would ignore the words of Scripture. The rest of them. This command comes in two parts. Most of us, maybe all of us, are missing out on the gifts of the fourth command. Some of us are trying or may try to live one piece of it, but I don't think most of us try to live the second piece of it. And even those of us who, who do try in one way or another will still find ourselves falling short. What we're going to be looking at today out of Exodus chapter 20 verses 8 through 11 is three gifts. 
three gifts. And I want to talk about them as gifts because the reality is, is they are gifts to us. The reality of this commandment in Scripture is that we are being given a gift. And friends, I hate to say it, but I fear, I think that most of us ignore this gift or these gifts altogether in one way or another. I want to look at three gifts. The first gift is the gift of work. The gift of work. This is the part most of us, if not all of us, miss. Okay? Let me read this again, verse 8 and 9. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Right, that's where the list comes from. But then what does it say in verse 9? Six days you shall labor and do all your work. Have you ever noticed that line before? You go through the Ten Commandments and it tells you that you shalt or you shall not do all kinds of things. But right here in this one, it tells us that we shall do all your work in six days. Wow! This came across uh, my mind, my heart, just a couple months ago. And when it did, it just gave me this amazing pause. I have been a Christian for 30 years. I have been a pastor for like 20 of those And I've never seen this. To think that the Ten Commandments command us to work for six days. How many days do you work? How many days do you work? This is where this is going to get challenging to a few of us, see, because some of us are going to find ourselves in a camp where we are not living this piece of it. We are not working six days. And we should be. Some of us, though, are going to be on the other side of it, and we're going to figure out that, hey, we're working seven days. Isn't that a problem, too? So what does it mean when it talks about you shall labor here? What is this gift that we are given in Scripture? It says six days you shall labor. Well, what is labor? In Hebrew, the word here has two meanings. It has two meanings. The first is to, is to labor, right? The first is to work. It's the things that we do, that we're active in. The second is to serve. So if you actually take the, the translation together, what you actually see is the scripture tells us that six days you shall labor and serve and do all your laboring and serving. Friends, this is all of our vocational work. Someone today, this morning, asked me what it was to be a vocational pastor. It's what you do for a living, it's your vocation. I am a vocational pastor. This church supports my ministry by providing an income so that I don't need to do something else. Our vocation is the things that we work in. It's the thing we spend our time in that brings us a living. But we don't just have vocational work, do we, as Christians? We also have serving work. We have kingdom work. 
I love that, that even in the Old Testament, even in this word for labor here, it builds both of these ideas in, right? Because it doesn't just say, hey, look, you should work for six days at your vocational job. It actually includes everything that we do in, in labor and work, in serving, everything. Not only does it point out this dual place for us to live, this full life of laboring and serving, but it also tells us that in those six days, we should get all of our work done. All of it. Look at us at, at, at the scripture in verse 11 in this passage. We see why, okay? Verse 11, it says, For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them, and rested on the seventh day. Therefore, the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. At what point did God rest? When all of his work was done. He didn't rest on the fifth day and say, oh, I'll do it tomorrow. He got everything done, and then he rested. This is a gift as well. The example that God sets for us is that, is that we are given the gift of rest, which we will be looking at next, after we've been working through the gift of work. See, church, we are meant to be imitators of God. Our God who worked six days and then rested on the seventh. It is a gift that has been given to us of purpose, of life, of cooperation in the very work of God. This is a gift that we have been given. Church, does it ever strike you that the first thing we learn about God is that he works and then rests? See, the thing about all the commandments of God is what they do is they show us the heart of God. They show us who he is. And our God is a God who works hard. And that's a weird thing to think about because it's not like God extends exertion and gets tired. He is limitless, and yet this is who his character is. He presents to us and calls us to be as well. When I first came across this idea and I began to meditate on it and to pray on it, I realized, and I've been thinking about this and praying about this for months, that this right here is part of many of our problems. Our problems as individual Christians, our problems as a church, is that God has given us a gift. And there are some of us who are ignoring that gift and will not receive it. Church, let me ask you this. Do you work hard enough six days out of the week that if you don't have a Sabbath, it would go poorly for you and the people around you? For some of you, I know the answer is yes. For some of you, I know the answer is no. God has given us, hear this, church, God has given us abundant life. John 10, 10, I have come that you may live and live abundantly. That's not just an eternity view, it's a now view. He says, look, I've come that you may have an abundant life. That is a big life. We're told in 2 Corinthians 6.18 that we are sons and daughters of God. 
Hear this, church. We are sons and daughters of the king of the universe. We are told in 2 Corinthians 5, 16 through 21 that we are ministers or agents of reconciliation called to be reconciling this earth, human to human, human to God, through the reconciliation work of Christ on the cross. 2 Corinthians 5.17 tells us that we are new creations. We're not the same old things we were. We're new. 1 Corinthians chapter 12 tells us that every single one of us, if we are in Christ, has been given gifts to build up the church to glorify the Lord. Abundant life, church. How? Through the gift of work the gift of labor, the gift of serving. Do you work hard enough six days of the week that if you didn't have the gift of rest, it would go poorly for you and poorly for those around you? We are a people who are called to good works. All of our laboring and our serving, all and nothing less will do. Nothing less will do. Is this not what it should be? Is this not what it should be that we would be a people who labor, work, and serve all the time? <laughs> right? To fill our time and our energy, to spend our energy on the good labor that God has called us to, whether that is vocational work, whether that is the raising up of kids, which is work, serving the church, your neighbors, your family, your coworkers, your boss, your employees. Praying, reading, scripture, studying. Have you ever noticed that the words that, that Paul uses to talk about things like praying? He uses the word laboring. He actually tells us that we need to labor in prayer. Do you labor in prayer? Or do you labor to watch TV? Do you labor in Netflix? Do you labor in all these things that just are around us and distracting us, Facebook and whatnot? Or are you a person who labors in the good things that God has called you to? So we are called, we are meant to be a people who are constantly in this, praying, reading, studying, working, serving, evangelizing. Think about the, the community we live in right now. I keep saying this. There is something going on here. I've been here for five years. In the last month, there's been three shootings within 10 miles of this building right here. Two murders. This is sleepy Colorado, right? There's a darkness. There's a darkness. And we are called to labor and serve. What does this look like? All right, let me give you some ideas. This is where you might pay attention and think, all right, here's where we're going to start looking at life. Right now in our current 
cultural context, context, this might look a little bit like this. That five days a week, you are someone who works full-time, vocationally. You are someone who five days a week goes to a job, right? That's kind of how we're supposed to be built right now as a culture. Five days a week, and then you have one more day of the week to fully devote to serving the Lord. So let me just say this really clearly. If you work five days a week, then you have one day a week to fully serve the Lord. It may look different for you. Maybe you normally work six days a week. Maybe you work three days a week, four days a week. There's no prescription here. This is going to look different for all of us because we're all a little bit different and our situations are all a little bit different. But let me give some ideas. Men, tear down your man caves. Your dens. Did you know that men used to have studies in shops? Now we have man caves. What do people do, or what does bears do in caves? They hibernate. They sleep. Get rid of your man caves. Women. I'm going to be honest, I have no idea how to apply this to you. Here's what I know, and I'm not going to use this as an excuse. You should not either, women. I know far more women in this community who work far harder than the men around them. The second half of this sermon might actually apply to some of the women I know in this community more than some of the men. Rise up, men. Let me poke one more little thing. Men, do you have a chair? You know what I'm talking about. He has a chair. He's allowed to have a chair. Okay, Dan has a chair. Man, if you have a chair in your house that nobody else is allowed to sit in because you're always in it, here's a problem. We're called to work six days a week. We're not called to have a chair in front of the TV. Dan gets a pass. Women. In all seriousness, though, in all seriousness, women, there are things in your lives, too, that stand in the way of laboring and serving for six days. Put them down. Retired folks, yes, I'm not pulling punches today. Retired folks, did you know there is no retirement in the Bible? You will not find it. There is no passage that tells you after you have worked for 50 or 60 or 70 years that you are now entitled to 15 to 10 years or 20 years, whatever it is, of nothing. In fact, it says the opposite. Numbers 8, 23 through 26, the priests are called to serve from age 25 to 50. And the day they turn 50, you know what they get done, they have to do? At age 50, they, are, they, they become guards of the temple until they die. Okay? Retirement's a great thing. We are blessed to live in a country where people can do that. It's amazing. Christian, work harder in your retirement than you did in your not retirement. Just do what you love doing. Right? Retirement, what that means is that you now get to do all the things you wanted to do and never got to do because you had to do something else. In the words of Morgan Freeman, 
in Shawshank Redemption, get busy living or get busy dying. Titus 2, 1 through 8 tells older believers to do what? To mentor younger ones. Well, guess what? Unless you're the oldest, right, or the youngest person in the room, there is somebody younger than you that needs to be mentored. Old women, older women, (laughs) right? (laughs) Look around the room. There is a young woman in this room that needs your experience, that needs your wisdom in reading scripture and faithfully praying for 80 years or whatever it is. Men, look around the room. There is a younger believer in here. Or let me just say this. There's probably far more of them outside of this room that need you to come alongside them and raise them up. All right, here's the next one. How about those who are uh, living on disability? I'm jealous of you. You have more time and energy than I do to devote to the Lord. The government's paying your bills. (laughs) Most of you don't have young kids in the home. What would it look like for you to devote six days a week to laboring and serving in prayer? And being in the word. And talking to your neighbor about Jesus. Man, with nothing else going on. How much Bible could you read in a week? Oh, the Bible does not say labor and serve for six days unless you have a really good excuse. The Apostle Paul It is believed, and I believe this about the Apostle Paul, that he did his entire ministry in agonizing pain. There are a couple schools of thought on Paul's thorn in the flesh. Some people believe it was a sin that he carried with him, and that could be. But a lot of scholars, and like I said, myself included, believe that what that was for Paul was chronic pain. Right? The man, his entire ministry, kept getting beaten stoned, left for dead. The last half of his ministry, do you know who he traveled with? Luke. What was Luke's vocation? A physician. Is there a reason that the Apostle Paul traveled with a physician for the last half of his life? I believe yes. Because he was in constant, chronic, agonizing pain. And yet, in the midst of that, what did he do? He wrote half the New Testament. And planted thousands of churches. We live in a community that is in desperate need of Bible-believing, faithful, loving Christians to serve. Teach kids in this community to read. We've got a program for that. Volunteer at the, at the, the food banks that we have here in the community. Okay? Any number of things that you can do, do it. All right, I get, I get the pain. I get 
the trouble. I get that a full-time job is not possible. It's amazing that we live in a country where, where we are, have these options. Serve where you can. Work where you can. All right, next up, kids. Mary, Phoebe, Eli, and Thomas aren't in the room. Got a few other kids around, Trey and others, right? You have a job, too. Did you know that? You guys have a job, too. Your job is to learn, to study, to do chores that help your family and that help your neighbors. To read the Bible, to know the Bible. You guys don't get a pass on this. Teenagers, did you know you don't exist? I mean, you do. And I love seeing you guys sitting in the back serving right now. Teenagers were invented about 100 years ago. Before that time, there were not teenagers. In the time of the Bible, from the most of the Bible, uh, you were an adult from age 13 or 14 on with adult responsibilities. Like your parents, your labor should include earthly work, the beginning of vocation, and kingdom work, serving. Friends, labor is a gift. <laughs> I mean, and just think about the gifts that we are given in labor. The ability to make money, the ability to, to, to buy food, the, all of these things. There's so many gifts wrapped up in this. And I just want to tell you, if you are someone who has not received this gift, not embraced the gift of labor in your life, then here's the deal. It's time to repent. The Lord's calling you to repentance because you're taking advantage. You're not living the way he wants you to live. All right, the second gift. The gift of rest. Now, if you guys know me, you know that this first half was really easy. I would love for my own heart to just end the sermon at one gift. See, because I'm not one who's going to find that six-day work. I'm one that's going to find that seven-day work. And I know some of you are in the same boat as me. Let's go back to the scripture on this. Verse 10, but the seventh day is a Sabbath day to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work. You or your son or your daughter, your male servant or your female servant or your livestock or the sojourner who is within your gates. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them, and rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. The gift of rest. Guys, I'll just confess to you, I am tired today. I'm tired. And it's not this church's fault, it's my own. I mean, there's plenty to do in ministry, and yet for some reason, I keep filling my life with all kinds of other stuff. That's work. You might do the same. The Sabbath day was the seventh day, it was the final day of the week. 
meant so that after you were done with all of your work, you might sit and rest. In fact, the word Sabbath actually means seat. The Sabbath, the first Sabbath was actually the day that God sat down. It's the day that God sat down. The Sabbath is the day that we are called to be people who sit. Just who <laughs> sit. Tell you what happens when I sit down. I fall asleep. I used to make fun of my dad all the time. Because we'd sit down to watch a show or a movie. I mean, if four seconds later, the intro's not even done, and he's snoring in his chair. Well, guess what? It comes around. I sit down, watch a show with my wife, and if I'm not actively eating the whole time, I'm out. It's the day that we're supposed to sit. The day that's supposed to be set aside for sitting. See, the word holy here means to set apart. Right, it's special. It's supposed to be intentional. When I was a kid, I had school clothes and I had play clothes. Anybody else? In fifth grade, I got home from school one day. It was in October. We were in New York. We had gotten a freak early snowstorm, enough snow to go sledding. And so I got home from school and I was so excited, threw on my snow pants, I ran outside and I went sledding. Somewhere around 45 minutes to an hour later, my leg snapped in half. It was exciting. I blamed my brother, of course. He was older than me and bigger than me. And I remember that even in the midst of pain and fear, I was most concerned that the nurses at the ER were going to cut my pants off. Do you know why? Because those were school pants. You didn't play in school pants. You didn't ruin school pants. They were special. Even in fifth grade, I made them take my pants off instead of cutting them off because I knew what would happen to me if I ruined my school clothes. And yet, today in my life, I'm far less concerned with the day that's supposed to be set aside for rest. The gift of rest. What is the purpose of the Sabbath? There's a few purposes I want to highlight for us. Here's the first. It allows us to work hard the rest of the week knowing that there is a rest coming. And think about your life, especially if you're like me and you are prone to just doing, doing, doing. Every day gets a little bit harder, a little bit harder, but when you know that there is a rest coming, man, you can do anything, Right? Because you know that, you, that you, you'll be able to catch up. That there will be a day where you will be able to sleep in or just sit for a little longer, read a book instead of running, whatever it is that brings rest. It actually helps us work harder all the rest of the days. It's a gift. We are far more productive as human beings when we know there's a rest coming. second purpose is that it reminds us of our limitations. Did God need to rest on the seventh day? No. Right? God is limitless energy. 
He rested on the seventh day for our benefit. Just think about that. He made all of creation. And on the seventh day, he thought, those people I made, they're going to need a day of rest. Because we're not God. Even if some of us would like to think we are, that we are in control of our lives, that we are in control of our situation, the need for rest reminds us of our limitations. God's gift to us of that is his confirmation to us that we should be resting. C.J. Mahaney, in his book on humility, tells us that even the night's sleep is a reminder to us that we are not God. For our God is a God who never slumbers and sleeps. The third thing that the gift of rest does for us is it points us back to God. It brings us back to see God clearly. One writer wrote that, that the purpose of rest was to weakly declare that God was the creator. That in participating in the Sabbath, rest, we are actually preaching of God's creation. It's a constant reminder to us and those around us that God created everything. It's not only that, but it's also a weekly declaration that God is still our sustainer. That God is still our sustainer. So you think about the time period when, um, when the Ten Commandments were originally given. You think about the time period of most of Scripture and the culture of the world. Most people didn't have a day of rest. But God set a day apart for his people that they might, that they would. Why? While everyone else is toiling in their fields on the seventh day, the people of God are sitting in faith that it'll be okay. Christian, do you believe that if you stopped working for 12 hours, that your family will be okay? That your business will be okay? That you will be okay? Do we really have faith in God that he's the one sustaining this thing? It's not us. I mean, I ask myself often, why am I so prone to overwork? Why must I be in control? Because I don't have any faith. Because we are a people of little faith. And we will not give it to him. Sabbath points us back to God. It reminds us that we can trust the Lord, right? And that we need to trust the Lord. All right, what does this look like? First, devoting a day to rest. Devoting a day to rest. Now, this could be a Sunday, part of the rhythm of worship and family and friends. This could be another day that is set apart for the purpose of finding rest. You guys probably figured this out, but Sundays for me is not a Sabbath. I leave this building more tired than I do any other day of the week. For me, often my Sabbath might begin on Sunday afternoon and carry me through sometime on Monday. Other weeks, it has to be on a Friday or a Saturday. It's, it, it varies. Do you set aside a day where you don't, where you don't do other stuff? 
I had a, prof a professor in college who, when asked what Sabbath should look like, he said he always works with his hands and his body on the Sabbath, on his Sabbath. Why? He's a professor in college. He spends all week working his mind and his heart. And so on his Sabbath, he gardened. He found rest in gardening. Obviously, the reverse of that would be for those who work with their hands all week to sit and read and pray. Parents, Sabbath is really hard. I remember before we had kids, I had a friend who had a kid. He was in our church. I was his pastor, and he came to me, and he said, how do I take a Sabbath? And I said, well, you just need to do it, man. It's the dumbest answer anybody has ever given. <laughs> All of parenting in one way or another is laboring and serving. But Betsy and I figured out a couple years ago that our kids behave differently and often better when we go someplace for fun or adventure. There are places that our family can go together where being a parent becomes easy instead of labor. Find that rhythm. Business owners, bosses, train up someone who can do what you do. Let me say it again. Train up someone who can do what you do. It will be a blessing to you and to them. Remember, we're talking about the gift of Sabbath here. It's a gift. This may be, like I said earlier, an exercise in faith. All right, how about those of you who can't afford to take a day off, right? The bills are just piling up. Can I make a suggestion? Cancel your cable. Get rid of your data plan and your cell phone. I mean, is it really worth killing yourself one more day a week for entertainment? Change your lifestyle. Give something up. Let me propose this. If you can't take a Sabbath rest because you have too much to do, and I'm speaking to myself right now, then you are doing something you should not be doing. Because the command that God gives us is that we would do all of our work in six days. If you can't get all of your work done in six days, then you're doing too much. And it's time for a change. Some of us need to repent of this. My whole week has been repenting of this. It's not easy. But there is a gift that some of us have not received. We will not receive it. And we need to repent of that. The third gift. All right, we've covered work. We've covered rest. The third gift, and hear this, Christian, is that the gift of work and the gift of rest in the Ten Commandments is nothing compared to the gift of finding our work and our rest in Jesus Christ. I want you to hear this really well because we've talked a lot about work and rest coming out of the Ten Commandments. And this is a really interesting thing because 
this commandment in the, from the Old Testament, particularly from the Ten Commandments, is pretty much the only one that Jesus says don't worry about. All of the commandments of the Old Testament are fulfilled in who? In Jesus Christ, right? All of them. In every way, he is the fulfillment of these things. This is really interesting. Jesus says in Matthew eleven twenty eight, 28, Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. The Apostle Paul writes in Colossians 2, 16 through 17, Let no one pass judgment on you in questions of food and drink, or with regard to a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath. These are a shadow of the things to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. See, the gift of labor and work and the gift of rest are amazing gifts, and we should be living them. But we should also be looking to the gift of Jesus Christ, who has lived them perfectly for us and promises them in fulfillment to us. There is a gift for us as Christians that the rest of the world does not have. And church, I just need to say this. If you're not taking advantage of that, there's a big problem. You're squandering your inheritance. Apostle Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 10.31, whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. Right? The focus of our lives should be on the glory of God. And Jesus takes the work, he takes the rest, and he says, hey, come to me to find that rest. Jesus is literally our Sabbath. He is literally our Sabbath as believers. That's the reason why when over and over again Jesus is challenged in the Gospels by Pharisees about his disciples or he himself breaking the Sabbath, he answers, I am the rest. It's all fulfilled in him. Church, we all fall short. We all do. We all will. Some weeks, we're going to get done with that week and realize we worked nine days that week. Okay? Some of us, we're going to get done with the week and think, man, I, did do, I didn't do anything. Some of us do not work enough, while others of us work too much. Some of us fall short of the good of working six days, while others of us fall short of remembering the Sabbath and finding rest. Some of us are letting life pass by, while others of us are too focused on the things of this life. Some of us miss the heart of God in working hard, while others of us miss the heart of God in finding rest. Most of us right now know where we fall and fail in this. Amen? We either miss the first part, the second part, or we miss both. But we look to Christ. When I think about what it means for the Sabbath, you know, going back to that idea that God sat down for the first time, this brings me to Hebrews chapter 1. It's one of my favorite passages in all of Scripture. It says, long ago at many times and in many ways God spoke to our fathers by the prophets, but in these last days he's spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed the heir of all things and through whom also he created the world. He is the radiance of the glory of God, the exact imprint of his nature, and he upholds the universe by the word of his power. After making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. 
I've preached on this passage so many times in this church. I hope you guys, if you've been here for a while, remember what I've said here. Because this is the first time in the entire history of the Bible where the high priest got a chance to sit. Because the work was done and the rest was found. Jesus is still sitting. We can run around like crazy doing all this work and trying our hardest and yet Jesus is still sitting. The work is done. The rest has been found and given to us. I've already called us to repentance on two things. Let me call us to one more. We need to repent if we do not turn to Jesus for the completed work and for the rest that we're supposed to have. We need to repent. Some of us, that means the first time because we've been running around this life without him and we need to turn to him for the first time and accept his salvation, receive him in our hearts for the first time. But for some of us, man, we have been believers for a long time, but we've gotten in the habit of just running and running, or we've gotten the habit of doing very little with our lives. But we need to repent of not looking to him for our work and not looking to him for our rest. Amen? We come before this word. And I don't know if you agree with me or not that every one of us falls short of this. And that most of us, if not all of us, really don't even think about it. But I pray that you would find yourself before the Lord repenting as we come into the time of communion. Like I said, this week has been a, a wrestle week for me. Because you cannot read and study and pray on this kind of a message without realizing, man, I shouldn't even say a word about at least the second half of this sermon.